not sure where Juice is, but I wanted to, there you are, Juice, you were right. Uh, the first time I ever heard about Roots, uh, Juice sent me a, uh, a link to a sermon, and he said, I think you'll like this, I think we've found our people. That's what Juice said, and he's like, I think these are your people, and since being here this morning, and even before then, getting to know uh, TC and Oshita, listening to messages by both of them and Durr, I know when we talk about our people, we're talking about something that God is weaving together around certain DNA about the kingdom that just, when you show up here like we have this morning going, yeah, this is right. What's happening here is right. The fact that we took time to bless the kids, the fact that not everybody looks the exact same, the fact that this is a space that welcomes each other and that honors Christ. So, so Juice, you are right, and I'm um, honored to be invited to be a part of this community, this group of people. Um, I want to introduce some of my community that I brought with us. Uh, first of all, my family. It's my wife, Candace, right here. She's holding uh, our youngest foster baby, Moses. And then we've got our littles right here, Winnie and Nia. Can you say hi? There we go. And then, and then we have Biggs with Lola, who's 13, and Justice, who's rolling somewhere with Jaden. Um, but that's part of uh, our community. And then I have extended community here. I work with an incredible organization called Venture, and we rarely talk about it as an organization. We often talk about it as a community of people. And this weekend, we have people coming from all over the United States uh, that have participated in Venture and now will be leading trips throughout Venture. So if you guys could just raise your hand, some of the leaders from around the U.S., this is some of the Venture crew. They're here from everywhere from California and Colorado to Minneapolis and the South Metro. And so uh, we are thrilled to be here. Venture is an organization. We use hiking, biking, and running to raise funds to fight injustices around the world like human trafficking, refugee crisis, extreme poverty. And uh, we started uh, about 17 years ago from Minneapolis. There was three college students, and these three college students were in a chapel setting, um, not looking like this quite yet, but these three students were in a chapel, and they heard about an individual that was going to go to South America and address a community there that was experiencing extreme poverty. And they were so moved by the idea of, of being a part of this community and meeting not only the spiritual but the physical needs that they said, I want to do something about this. So they decided they were going to bike across the country. Now, for some of you, that might sound normal. For these three, it was not. They didn't own a bike. They weren't cyclists. They had no business having this idea. But over the course of two months, they developed a plan and they drove to the Pacific Ocean, not going east going west through North Dakota and they they put their back tires in the Pacific Ocean and they started cycling and they would do 60 miles, 80 miles, 100 miles up to 120 miles a day every single night stopping at churches, community centers and uh, schools and they would tell this story about this need for this community in South America that they'd never met but they felt compelled by the gospel to respond to these needs, the physical and spiritual needs and, and at the end of that 3,300 mile ride they raised $17,000 to fight um, the injustice of poverty in this community, a community that to this day is reaping the rewards of someone saying, I want to respond to those needs. Now, these three college students had to go back to school the next year, and they thought their thing was done, but then, lo and behold, they decide maybe we should do this again. And so the next summer, they decide they're going to cycle again, but they've already done the U.S., so why not do Europe? 
And this time they cycled from Portugal to Poland, seven countries, seven different languages. They end up raising $28,000 to fight it, the HIV epidemic in Sub-Saharan Africa. And that's the start of Venture. Venture is an organization of people that uses biking, hiking, and running. Uh, we're not all epic athletes, although those first two stories sound pretty great. We're average, ordinary people that do anything from biking across the state to running across the state to climbing a mountain to doing a 5K or just simply logging one mile a day through our app saying what we want to do is we want to move from comfortable to less comfortable on behalf of other people. We want to move from comfortable, from our comfortable existence, and we want to willingly say, even though right now this feels okay, I'm going to willingly step into something a little bit less okay because I recognize that other people are in difficult situations. And because we recognize that this is what Christ did. This is clearly what Christ did, who came down from heaven a very comfortable place, I'm hoping, because that's you know part of the goal, um, and so came down and sat amongst humanity that is clearly broken. One of the things that I love about Roots is, is the leadership and the voice of Oshida continually speaking about shalom, the recognition that this is not yet as it should be, and we are in steps towards shalom, towards the perfect order of how we interact with one another and with our maker. And this, this is part of what Venture does. And so we say we do tough things for people in tough places. And the impact has been pretty remarkable. Just this last year, it's actually, uh, last year's results, over 30,000 lives have been impacted. And that's a big number. We raised over $4 million, and that's a big number. But those, those big numbers impact individual lives. Over 900 girls were rescued or intervened in Nepal and Southeast Asia, and were, instead of being forced into prostitution some 20 and 30 times a day, instead of that, they had a safe home. They had a warm meal. They had people that cared about them. They were given education, vocational training, and they were given the hope of the gospel. They were discipled, and their lives have been changed. Over 1,400 people receive education every single day because we believe that the steps of moving from comfortable to less comfortable means we've got to stay for a while, see what God's already doing in these places, and help come alongside of what God is already doing. We started a refugee feeding program in war-torn areas where conflict and physical danger is happening all the time. And now this morning, more than 17,000 kids will receive a meal because of the venture community. Because teams like this are saying, you know what, the gospel invites us to do something more than be comfortable. It invites us to move from comfort to less comfortable. And so that's what we mean when we say tough things for people in tough places. The tough things are the miles, they're the radical generosity, they're the fervent praying. I know some of you love to pray, but others of you, it's tougher. People like me, it's tough to get up earlier and pray. It's tough to carve out that time when I'd rather watch March Madness for like 20 straight hours, to carve out that time to be connected with the maker. So we do these tough things for people in tough places. And we define tough places very specifically. It is an intersection. We're going to go math on you for just a minute, okay? So, so log in your math juice. You did math initially in undergrad, right? So the Venn diagram, y'all remember a Venn diagram? That's basically two circles that intersect. And one of our circles is least reached, and one of our circles is least resource. This is how we've identified how we want to respond to the gospel in these areas. Least reached is less than 3% gospel witness. 
That doesn't mean God's not moving in these areas because scripture says that God is moving and active. And, and, uh, but we want to identify those spaces where there is less organized uh, expression of the kingdom. And we want to come alongside of those leaders. And then, and then we, want to, we want to address some physical injustice, the least resourced. Places where girls are being trafficked. Places where there's not enough food or nutrition. Places where there's extreme poverty or oppressive government regimes. We go to those places. We identify leaders that are already doing work that Christ has called them to do. And we come alongside of them. It's easy um, for some organizations to just identify one need. So if you identify a clean water, or if you identify a food issue, and you just meet those needs, that's philanthropy. That doesn't mean that those organizations are bad, but if we only meet the physical need, that's philanthropy, that's charity. If we only meet the spiritual need, that's evangelism and traditional missions, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have specifically focused on this intersection of those two things because this is what we believe biblical justice looks like. And global justice, I am honored to be a part of this series where you guys have been unpacking what justice means over and over again over the last couple of weeks. The great Dr. Cornell West talking about that justice is what love looks like in public and unpacking it from race, from politics, from worship, from shalom. These types of things that when we really begin to understand, this is not just a side conversation in the church. This is a core DNA of the church and not just roots, although I'm proud it's right up on your street, but this is a core DNA of the kingdom to engage in this kind of justice and what we are seeing is when we engage this way we are seeing radical life change we are seeing young refugees come to one of our centers whose um, family was a refugee incredibly impoverished lacking all education and on the other side of it now fully educated college degree she's running our center now she is the top leader at our center and in her spare time she's raising enough money to buy a house for her family this is what gospel transformation looks like it's not just oh I was going to hell and now I'm going to heaven but it's that his kingdom can come right now in my community and I can be a part of helping that happen whether that's in St. Paul or whether that's in Southeast Amen. Asia and so if we think about, we're not just only seeing transition from girls who were once trafficked to now becoming followers of Christ. It's not just from refugees who now have jobs and stability and are Christian leaders in their community, but we're also seeing life change in our participants, those who are logging the miles, those who are willingly getting on a bike, who are running, people like, like Ginger, who choose to use her platform in the summer of education to raise money for other people who lack education. We're seeing life change happening there too, and this is what justice looks like. Uh, the former First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, says justice is only justice if both sides are transformed. And I would say she copied that from Jesus. Uh, this is not imperialism. This is not colonialism. This is the recognition that the goal is shalom and that the understanding is that we are all broken parts of that heading towards that better connection. And so if, if this is the case... If this is the case, if, if justice, if engaging in justice is not just for certain people or certain ministries or certain churches or certain movements, but if it is a core DNA, if justice is truly transformational, not only for some group of people over there, but transformational for us here at Roots this morning, if justice is that powerful, then why is it so polarizing? 
Why do we not hear it enough? And again, I would applaud you. You are hearing it enough here. You are focusing on it. You are actively, purposefully seeking the renewal of this city and beyond. But why is it something that is not more broadly engaged? And I would argue it's because our view of justice is just too small. We think it's for certain people, for certain moments, for certain sermon series, for certain books, for certain individuals who, whose heart beats that way. When in reality, if you look in scripture, this concept of justice has been talked about more than 2,500 times. That's more than money. That's more than evangelism. That's more than sex. That's more than marriage. It is talked about over and over again. And we, I think part of the reason is we've limited it to our English translation of justice. But, you, but if we look in scripture, it's a broader concept and it's really covered in two different words. So we just went a little bit math. Now we're going to go a little bit Hebrew. All right. You all are going to have to engage your brains here. There are kind of two words that when we see in scripture should spark. Oh, that's justice. That's justice. And the first one is righteousness. Righteousness that... I grew up in one stream, one denomination, one bed. And what I was taught about righteousness is, is a fairly elementary view of it. It's not wrong, but that righteousness is my right standing with God. Had any of you ever heard that kind of nomenclature? Okay, so it's my right standing with God. And that's a, that's a good start. But the listeners of the day, the readers of the word of that day would have understood righteousness, sadaka. Sadaka as a covenant relationship. Because of my covenant relationship with God, I'm entering into everything that is God. This shalom idea. And so because of that, it's not only this relationship, but it's my relationship with each other. It's my relationship with myself. It's my relationship with the restored order of the world around me. And they would not have parsed the two. So it wouldn't have been, I'm a Jesus follower, and this is a Jesus follower, and this Jesus follower really likes compassion. It would have been, we're Jesus followers, we've got to figure out what the renewal of this space looks like. That's Sadaka. And as we get closer in our relationship with Jesus, the natural outflow is that things come in better alignment. We are in better relationship with our spouse, with our roommate, you know, the people that are closest to us, with our kids, and then with the people we work with, and then the people we worship with, and then the people in our neighborhood. You see these concentric circles, and as we get better at this, we naturally should be getting better at this. And if we're not, I would propose this is why less and less people are going to church. Because we're saying we're really good at this and we're really not so good at this. Do you see the disconnect? It doesn't mean you're going to hell. It simply means that we need to be a group of people that because of this, this works better. Okay, so the Sadaka says, it says that there is an order, this beautiful shalom that's not yet reached, but we're working for this Sadaka. And then as we get better at that, we start seeing where the broken places are more clearly. Because we have a picture of shalom, because we are connected to the originator of shalom, because our sadaka says we're getting closer, then the other word that we know as justice, mishpat, comes in. And mishpat is what we do to help fix broken spaces. 
Mishpat, that can be retributive, that can be restorative. It's what we do. It's how we hold people accountable. It's how we fill broken spaces. It's also how we see ourselves in our broken spaces. Side note, if you want a great book on this, When Helping Hurts is an incredible book around justice because it talks about different kinds of brokenness, okay? Different kinds of poverty. A lot of times in our worldview, our poverty is those who have less than us. Instead of poverty is a brokenness in shalom. And there are main ways we can have a broken relationship with God. We can have a broken relationship with one another. We can have a broken relationship with ourselves. We either spoil ourselves and we starve ourselves. Um, we can have a broken relationship with the created order around us. And all of this speaks to this. Like, so Mishpat goes, hey, because, because I'm getting better at this sadaka, because I'm getting better at my relationship with God and my relationship with others, I see brokenness in individual relationships, but also I see brokenness in systemic relationships. I see brokenness in systemic relationships in St. Paul and in Minneapolis, in different demographics and internationally, which is how we go back to that Venn diagram of least reached, least resourced. And as I am pursuing, as Christ called me to, my relationship with him, as that gets better, my relationships get better, and as that gets better, I start seeing brokenness, and then Mishpat says, then do something about it. Mishpat says we have to do something about it, and I want to say it again, that's not for some people in here. Sometimes people come in, and if they're connected to a missions organization, we go, well, that's just if I feel called to missions. Or if it's a justice organization, well, that's just if I feel called to compassion. Or if it's this or that. But that is not... Justice, biblical justice, is the DNA. It's the nervous system of the kingdom. It's the very core. So when we say we want to purposely seek the renewal of the city, it means that out of the outflow of our relationship with God and this growing relationship with one another, we see brokenness more clearly. And, and, there has to be an and, because in this day and age of, of social media and clicking like on Facebook, yeah, fatherlessness shouldn't happen, like, yeah, refugee crisis shouldn't happen, like, yeah, human trafficking shouldn't happen, like, that doesn't do anything. It's great. You're telling people what you like. But this, what Justice and Mishpat says is we are invited to be a part of the change. We are invited to step in. Justice is what love looks like in public. It's the action. And so when Micah 6, 8, and you, this series, I would encourage all of you here, go back to roots.cov. What is it? Rootscub.org. Rootscub.org. Go back there. Listen to these messages on race, on economics, on politics, how these things play in on shalom. And as you look at that, what we hear is that it's for all of us to do something. It's for all of us to take a step from comfortable to less comfortable. And I know that's uncomfortable, but that's the point. That's the point is for you to be two parts inspired, one part to feel the grace of God that says you're great, you're going to heaven. And then like 79 parts, get out there and do something about it. And so like Micah 6.8, what does it look like to do justice? I'll tell you what I believe it looks like. It looks like our sadaka, our relationship with God, begins to strengthen our relationship with the world around us. And then it causes us to see brokenness individually and systemically and invites Mishpat to do something about it. And so I want to look at one verse. And I'm actually almost done. One verse. I want, to, I want to throw a verse out that may not be considered to many people a justice verse. 
but then when you realize that there are 2,500 verses, concepts around this, maybe we should need to start finding it throughout, weaving throughout scripture. And in 1 John 3.17, and this is the message version, it kind of, it wrecks me. If there's a brother and sister in need, and if you see them, and if you have the means to do something about it, but you turn a cold shoulder to it, where did the love of God go? It disappeared. Poof. And you're responsible. Holy moly, right? That's not like feel good at all. That's like a kick in the pants, right? If you see something, and if you have the means, so those are two things, and if you turn a cold shoulder to it, the love of God disappears. It doesn't mean that you are the love of God. It means that where people are seeing and responding to needs, there the love of God abides. That's where we powerfully see the love of God, in this recognition and response. And in this verse, this verse is uniquely wrapped in time and space. It's uniquely wrapped. In fact, how we read it today is actually different than how the original people read it. And I know... I believe God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I believe it's exactly what we need right now. So it is trapped in this time-space continuum right now because it says, if you see need. Okay, the readers of the day, the listeners of the, that day, the original time, to see a need would be physically to walk outside of their hut, their house, their sleeping space, and you'd have to physically see need. Because that was the limitations of the day. You, it was physical proximity, and that's what they were accountable. They weren't accountable to need around the world. But in our day and age, because of technology, communication, the internet, because of Facebook, social media, because there is so much information, we see far more. We see far more need. You can't unknow that girls are being trafficked and having things done to them 20 and 30 times a day in Nepal. The readers of the day wouldn't have understood that all the way around the world, but you know it. We can't unknow that the longest ongoing uh, crisis, the longest ongoing conflict, the longest ongoing civil war is in on the Myanmar and Thailand border. And because of that, there are hundreds of thousands of refugees and displaced people. We can't unknow that. So we know these things. Now, is that debilitating? Yeah, it can be overwhelming. We cannot respond to all of it. We just can't. But we have to know it, and then we have to ask ourselves, is this what I should be responding to? Because we should be responding. Because the next thing is, if you have means to respond. So not only is it on a time continuum, but it's also on a space continuum. Because we live in the United States. And we know phrases like, the United States is wealthy. We, we understand that. Um, but do you know, as we look at income across the world, if you and your household makes more than 32,000, okay, more than 32,000, guess what percentage you're in of, of earners? 1%. That means if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you're an accountant, you're probably safely in the realm of the top 1%. You don't feel like it, right? Because to be in the top 1% in the US, you have to make like 440,000. But in the world, global justice, seeing ourselves in light of our global citizenship, if you make more than 32,000, guess what? You're rich. There was this crazy stat as I was looking it up. Do you know the top 26 richest people on the planet just 26, 26, not 26,000, not 26 million. The top 26 people have as much accumulated wealth 
as half of the world. 3.8 billion people is equal to 26. And I see people shaking their head going, that is atrocious, and it is. It is a clear uh, 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 incongruity of, of wealth, but guess what? You're in the top 1%. You're closer to them than you are over here. Try wrapping your mind around that. So when scripture, and I'm not dogging on you, I know none of you rolled up in your Benzes, maybe you did, and I got no problem with Benzes, and if you want to give one to me, that's great. My daughter's also looking, she'd like an orange pair of Gucci running sneakers, is that right? Yeah, we'll work on it, teenagers, right? Uh, the point is, no matter how you feel, the data says when we look at scripture, if you have means. You have means. I had a conversation about somebody who just got a raise. I had a conversation with somebody who got a different job. I had a conversation about somebody who came into money. If we have means, so here, here's what it says. If you see it, time, right? Right now, this day and age, we can see pain all around us. And if we have means, then do something. Not if you feel called to be compassionate, not if you're part of a compassion ministry, not if you're part of a really super organic grassroots church that meets in a cool lobby with cool branding and cool banners, but as a Christ follower, as somebody who is like, this kingdom thing is increasingly making more sense in my life, it will stop making as much sense until we start getting more generous. I'm telling you, one of the greatest fears and anxieties I have is that if we don't understand and engage in biblical justice across the street or across the world, we will continue to just kind of drift back towards this lukewarm existence that will seem so innocuous to the rest of the world and will lull us to sleep so that we just go through life, we get to heaven, and you know what? The kingdom doesn't actually ever come here. The shalom right now that we would just kind of pass on to our kids a lukewarm existence when what we are being offered is this beautiful, dynamic, biblical justice. This DNA that says we get to be a part of the renewal of our city and our world. That's the invitation. And you will not regret it if you continue to enter in. And I'm preaching to the choir because Roots, you've done a good job. But what is our next step? And when we see this stuff, when we start seeing that this verse weaves our citizenship as humans with our citizenship as kingdom people, weaves it together, locks us together across the street or across the ocean, we start seeing incredible stories, things that we can't help tell about. There's a story of uh, one of my friends, her name's Hannah, and uh, I want to show you a video about what's happening in Hannah's life, what happens when we engage in biblical justice. and village people work in the gravel pit. During rainy season, work is not possible since the shores are flooded. Many people go hungry from the little they earn from selling salmon. Therefore, people are compelled to sell their bodies. In Nepal, there is a caste system. Brahman is the highest caste. And Barbi are a part of the Dalit, which is the lowest, the untouchable caste. When I was small, 
Our friend and her husband live near our house, and they would often come to visit. The husband told my sister that he wanted to take her to visit our mother's birthplace, Erangad. Instead, he took her in a tractor, where he drugged her to make her unconscious. He sold her for 30 dollars. Seen that video hundred times. It's powerful every time because it's a picture of the gospel. As I was sitting there, I feel like I clearly heard God's voice. That's not just a story for Nepal. 
It's for St. Paul. Not just because it has good rhythm. No, Paul or St. Paul. I know people are like, wait, we're having a serious moment. No, it's for both. And I think part of what this warning is about and what this series is about is like, justice doesn't work better some places than other places. And it's not for some sermon series and other sermon series. It's not for, for some emphases or for some ministries or for some Christians, but justice is something that is interwoven in what it means to be a Christ follower and should be seen in your home, in your workplace, across the street and across the ocean. We were just in Nepal uh, probably less than a month ago and the stories are crazy. Here's a picture of these young women who have been rescued from trafficking, and now they are literally standing in the middle of the street and they're rescuing other girls. They're going, wait, that girl shouldn't be, shouldn't be walking alone. She shouldn't be doing that. And literally, rescued people are rescuing people. And the reason why I show that is because that's not a picture for some other people in another place in another story. That's us. We are rescued people. The core of justice is understanding that we are part of this broken, this poverty, this poverty in our relationship with God and with others and with ourselves. And to be actively pursuing the restoration of that for the end picture of Shalom is to understand that one is not more important than the other, but all of us in our brokenness can pursue Shalom. And that when we see need, if we have the means and we turn a cold shoulder to it, the love of God disappears in our existence. It doesn't mean you're not, that you're going to hell and you're not going to heaven. It means that the shalom of the kingdom right now begins to dissipate. His words, scripture, not me. But if we see needs and we respond, if we lead trips, you know, if you wanna go on a bike ride down California, the coast of California, or hike a mountain in Colorado, or do some running, come see us. But also, also, if you wanna help with laundry, I can't remember what it is, but the laundry initiative, Oshida, so good, because it's out of a recognition of need. It's out of a clear, and what I like about that story, and you can go back and listen to Ashita's message, but what I loved about that, it wasn't a me recognizing them and me going and helping them. It was a me recognizing a point where I was in poverty in one area, and I can do something about that with other people. There's no greater grace and love and shalom than when we do it out of our own story that Christ is currently in the process of redeeming. And so St. Paul in Minneapolis, across the street and across the ocean, if we as a people continue to let our sadaka, our relationship with Christ grow, if we challenge one another in community to grow together, then we will be better at seeing brokenness and need in this room, across the street, and across the ocean. We will be better in going, I see that, and I have means, and I've got, my means aren't just money, they're community, they're relationship, they're skills, there's experience, and all of those things we bring together and say, come Lord Jesus. So I'm going to close with a prayer, and you can pray it with me if you want, as Pastor TC is going to come up, or you can just listen to me, but I'd rather you join me, because this is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that invites his kingdom to come, and his will to be done. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.